Would you turn over to Joshua, the ninth chapter? We're going to be in Joshua 9 and 10. We looked last week at Joshua chapter 8. We're just going to look at this flow. We've been studying the last few weeks on reigning in life, that we have been called to reign in life, not to be reigned over in life, but to be reigning in life. But many Christians, even though we have been called to reign in life, don't find ourselves reigning. We don't find ourselves being able to walk into those kind of things. That that's, uh, that's going on. Here's a story of a tax account told about a guy who wanted to declare the loss of his Lincoln Navigator SUV on his tax return. And so he said, the accountant told the man, he says, you know, most times if you have a loss on an SUV, on a car, if you take a loss on that, then, um, you know, your insurance company makes up for that. And they say, well, he said, let me tell you the story of what happened. Here's the, here's the whole story. He said, in the wintertime, some of us guys decided to go out and go ice fishing. And so we all piled into the SUV and we parked the SUV on the edge of the lake. And we were going to go out in the middle, but instead of digging a hole like you normally would do, we decided, you know, guys, more power and, you know, stuff like that. And, and so um, we grabbed a hold of a stick of dynamite. And we threw the dynamite out on the lake to blow a hole in the ice. Well, we had our dog along and the dog saw us throw the dynamite. And so he went and fetched the dynamite. He fetched it real quick too. Fetched it and we started hollering at him to to not do that, but he didn't quite understand. So he came running back and hid under the SUV. So now... You know, we're a little concerned about the dog here too. So we're, we're, we're calling the dog to come on out. Unfortunately, the dog did come out, but he left the stick of dynamite. <laughs> and the SUV blew up. <laughs> you ever feel like sometimes things are, are working against you, just kind of piling up on you there? And that's what we want to talk about here today, is just when things just seem to... It seems like whatever could go wrong in the situation that you're in, it seems like it does go wrong. It just piles up again and you, you have a victory and you cease and you feel like, oh, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And then something else happens. We want to talk about those situations. We've looked at Israel here. Israel has gone into the promised land, glorious in fashion, as the Jericho is parted before them and they walk on dry ground. They hadn't been, all this generation hadn't been around when they did that on the Red Sea. So this is really a first time thing for them. And they walk across and they get on over there into Jericho and they march around the city and they're real obedient all except for one person. And this, the walls fall down and they conquer this huge mammoth city and, and, and kill everyone that's inside. Then they come against Ai and we looked at that last week and how Ai, small village, not really much there and just send some of the men on down and they lost that battle and they all got disheartened and Joshua himself came before God and started to complain. Did you bring us all the way over here because we weren't happy in the wilderness? We should have just been happy in the wilderness. At least they left Egypt out. Should have just been happy just to wander around the wilderness, not have a home. I don't know why we all thought we had to have homes, but we all wanted to have homes. And we should have just been content to be on the other side of the wilderness and, and, and not going after all this. But here we are. Did you bring us out here to just have us be defeated? What's going to happen when all the Lord's enemies hear us about this? They're going to come after us. And so the Lord wasn't real patient with, with Joshua, was He? We all know what was God's response. Get up! What are you doing lying thus on your face? Get up! Quit belly aching and moaning and groaning and all that sort of stuff. Get up 
Israel has sinned. That's why they couldn't stand against their enemies. Now get up and take care of this thing. So they got up, took care of it, went over to Ai, defeated the place, and now they're all in good shape. Now we've got things right. Because they were allowed to have everything at Ai, so no one could have stolen anything. How many think things are looking up right now? How many of you have been in this situation where you have faced a mammoth battle, won the battle only to be defeated by something small like an AI, got that thing right, it got all that stuff taken care of, and now you are ready to possess the promised land. You are ready for that healing. You are ready to take on that financial issue that's, that's there. Whatever was standing in your way, you are ready to get past this. It's not going to hold you back anymore. You are ready. Well, that's where we pick up here in Joshua chapter 9. Now, Israel was called to reign over the promised land, weren't they? They were called to reign over the land of Canaan. This was what they were supposed to do, but they're not reigning over it yet, are they? Just because we're called to reign something doesn't mean that necessarily we do, but we sure can move that way. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Termites, and all that sort of thing. They gathered together and <clears throat> to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and, and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks and their knockies, old wine wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country. Now you know, as soon as somebody does want to give you specifics and just, you know, far away, far place, not near here, far away. This probably something isn't right. You need to have some specifics on this thing. From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Now, did you notice what battles they cited? Did you notice which battles they cited? The stuff on the other side. Did they talk about Jericho? Did they talk about Ai? Did they talk about any of those? No, because this is new news. They're only talking about old news. Old news. Because if they gave away the new news, that they knew about the new news, then that would have given away their position. But they're really there because of Jericho and Ai. That's why they're there. But they can't say that. They had to say these other places, these other things. And I'm sure that they were very things that uh, stuck in their head as well. So, they don't want to date themselves. The bread of, 
of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins when we filled were new. And see, they are torn. And these are garments. These are garments and our sandals have become old because of very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Well, sometimes, you know, you just don't need to bother God. Isn't that the, isn't that the way it is? I mean, sometimes, I mean, God's very busy. Sometimes you just don't need to bother God. Just let God alone. This is a small thing. I mean, obviously these people came from a long way. Look at the mold on the bread. Look at the worn out sandals. I mean, the wineskins. Oh. And they didn't talk about Ai or Jericho. They must be from a far place. So, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Always be careful of being in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. They found out about this how long? How long? Be leery of people who put you in a hurry. You know, how many times you watch this thing on that TV? How many have watched this commercial for ShamWow? Right? I mean, the next 30 minutes, we can't do this all day. Right? Next 30 minutes. But you can go up on their website four hours later and it's still there. <laughs> it's not going away. It's staying right there. You know, the new set of knives. 15 minutes, we'll give it to you at this price. You come buy them all, it's still the same price. Hasn't changed. If you act right now, you'll get this for free. Yeah, if you act tomorrow, you'll get it for free too. In fact, if you wait long enough, you get two of them for free. I mean, really, what's up with all this stuff? Everybody wants you to be in a hurry. You went, you act in a hurry, you get yourself in trouble. Stop, take, just take some time. Look it over. If someone is trying to push something through, it's because they don't want you to see something. There's something about it they don't want you to see. And we've seen this, boy, have we seen this a lot this year. Congress has tried to push how many things through so fast? They were trying to get this health thing through before everybody found out about it, but people were finding out about it and they were giving calls and giving them a problem with it. Glory to God. I hope you all read it all over. Don't you go... You make sure those people know. You do not want something like that going on. But anyway, going through all this stuff. You know, Congress has to pass it last year. We heard, Congress has to pass this now or we'll die. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We've got to do this now. You go in to buy a new car. If you do this now, now, Come back tomorrow. I won't do this. Uh-huh. There's always a deer for now. And that's what they're feeling. There's pressure. We want you to do this now. Well, I mean, they should have just stuck with their guns. If you're coming from a far away country, what does it matter? We aren't going to conquer you. You have our word on that. If you come from our country, you're dead. So go on and be at peace. They should have just left it at that. But these folks, they weren't content with that. We want a pact. We want a covenant with you. And you've got to stop and ask, why? 
Why do they want this from me so much? And if people are trying to get that from you, you you just know this. There's a reason why. And generally, they want you to sign something, do something before you find out something different. That's generally what it is. But they're looking all friendly. They're looking nice. You know, they're bringing presents. You'll get this for free if you act now. Three easy payments. All that sort of stuff. I mean, we got all kinds of ways to to do that. Have you ever done one of those things where they said three easy payments? I did one one time just for fun. It was one of those workout things. I thought, oh, this might work out. Three easy payments. And you you find out when you call up, it isn't quite three easy payments. And then there's this and then there's that. And then this person wants to stand there and sell you on this one and then sell you on this one and then sell you on this one. It's like, I don't want all those. I just wanted this one over here. I just wanted the sham wow. That was all I wanted. I didn't want all that other <laughs> So, all right, go to the auto show with us next year. You can go get one without all that spiel. <laughs> but they want them to act now. Now. you got to do it now. This is what they want. So they went ahead and they made the pact. And three days later, three days later, they find out they are within their own land. Three days without internet, Without telephones, without TVs, without the post office. They found out in three days. How much faster would it be today they found out? And the children of Israel journeyed and came to the cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Tephira, Beroth, and Kirjith, Jerem. All of these cities are mentioned in other places in the Bible. You will see them mentioned some more times. Ezra and Nehemiah mentions the uh, last three again. That's where you see those three together. I don't uh, think there were too many places you saw all four mentioned around like this, but Gibeon certainly we see quite often. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers and all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us saying we are from a very far country? when you dwell near us. Now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us that seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So these folks had to go on the head to be servants all these days and they figured being servants is better than being dead. <laughs> they liked that one a little bit better. So they, they agreed to that. This is okay. We'll go ahead and do this. Children of Israel are murmuring, why did you make this pact? Why did you make this agreement? Why did you do all this sort of thing? They're right within the 
confines of what we're supposed to be conquering. So they were a bit upset with them. But they went ahead and they, they held to it anyway. Now, here's a principle to learn from the Word of God. Even though deceit was used, God still holds them accountable to the covenant. I think that's just amazing. Because how many of you think you should be able to get off on a technicality? We even asked you if you were from within our country, within our boundaries. We even asked you that. And you said, no. No. We're from afar. You lied. How many of you would say that based on a lie, you're free? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, You lied. You lied. You did not tell the truth. You lied. I don't like this stuff. Mm Mm-mm. But apparently that's not quite the way it is with God. You see, on uh, 2 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 3, we have this account given about the days of David. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. He killed who? The Gibeonites. He killed the people that the covenant was with. See, Saul got a little zealous for the house of Israel and he says, you guys should not even be alive. You only became, were alive because you lied. I'm gonna, and he started killing them off. He started bumping them off. And problems arose from it. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And what shall I make atonement? That you may bless the inheritance of the Lord. So a whole famine came upon the nation because this thing was broken and nothing had been done about it. So God apparently saw it important that even though someone lies and you give your word, what should you do? Honor it. How many of you say, this isn't fair? A couple of you. I mean, this isn't fair. They lied. They lied. Yes, but you should be able to soar above the lie because you have the light on your side. And the Spirit of God should illuminate on the inside of you and say, don't sign it. Don't sign that covenant. They're not from a far, far away country. And they should be able to come back and say, you lied. You are within our land. We're going to kill you now. <laughs> I mean, they should have just done that, right? Now, just for a side note here, how many of you are a little upset at God and don't read Joshua, the book of Joshua, because of all the killing? Anybody out there at all? Don't read Joshua because, I mean, everybody dies. They go into the city, the men die, the warriors die, the little kids die, the babies die, and the women die. They all die. How many of you that bothers you? Couple of you. There you go. I got some honest hands out there. Yeah. I mean, first time I read that a, a few times, it bothered me. We were going over some of this with the uh, youth on Wednesday night. We had them in here, uh, or our, we were over next door. The adults were over here on this side, and we're going over that. And some, sometimes, you know, we skip over some of these things and we're not so so aware of it. Why is it that God commissioned Israel go in there and wipe them all out? Go to Jericho and kill how many? All. Go into Ai and kill how many? All. 
And you're going to find this theme throughout all the rest of them. He goes in and says, he doesn't say, let the little ones go. Come on, they're just little kids. I mean, come on, they're just little kids. Why is God killing little kids? And we get mad at God. Why is God killing little kids? There's, or the women, they're not warriors. Why are we killing the women? And we get upset at this. Well, here's the reason for it. Most times God went into battle or had Israel go into battle. That didn't have to be the case. But there are times that it was. The reason that it was inside of Canaan was back in dealing with the giants. You all know where the giants came from? The giants are the hybrid of fallen angels and the daughters of men. Fallen angels and daughters of men bring about this. There's a reason why Satan sent some of his forces down to do that. And if you read over the New Testament, you know the angels that were involved in this got locked up early. They're not still roaming around. All the ones that were involved got locked up and they're locked up forever. They're done. Remember uh, in the when Jesus is dealing with legion? And what, are the, what is the legion of demons, the head spokesman, what does he say to Jesus? What have we to do with you, Jesus? Have you come to judge us before our time? Why would they ask a question like that unless judgment has come before the time in the past? There's no reason to ask that question, is there? The reason they ask is because they know that Certain ones have been judged. Now, we know from the Bible that there were two groups of angels that were involved in this and both of them were judged early and locked up. There are four angels who have been locked up, apparently judged for something, that Revelation says are released during one of the plagues, one of the uh, things that, that, that God releases. And they are released to do their damage. There is also a time, I believe one of the bowls, uh, one of the bold judgments, that demon spirits are released from the pit to go and torment men. Why are they locked up? Apparently they were doing stuff they weren't supposed to do. And they got locked up, but they were released again for a short period of time and they said their torment is excruciating that they put upon men. So apparently, you know, that judgment goes early. But these two groups of, of uh, two groups of them were judged. The first time this happened was in the days of Noah. Some, sometime prior to the days of Noah, this first group was sent down and we had these hybrids. This is where Greek mythology had its roots in. Greek mythology is not telling you the true story of what happened. They made up stories based on this kind of thing happening. But the, the flood of Noah was to wipe out the giants. How many of you all have ever heard the story said you know, that Noah was an evangelist and Noah went around the world trying to... to uh, convert people and get them to come on the ark. How many have ever heard that story? That is a lie. He did not try and convert a single soul to come into the ark. I mean, he could get them saved, but he couldn't get them in the ark. The ark was reserved for only Noah and his family. Because the Word of God says something about Noah. It says he was perfect in his generations. In other words, there was no giant blood in his family. And so all of them were wiped out. But then the devil comes on down and he does it a second time. And he takes some of the people from his kingdom, some of his fallen angels, and they come on down. We have these hybrids. This is where King Og came from. And King Og, I didn't look it up. It was a while ago since I read it. We were talking about it on Wednesday, but I still didn't go back and, and look it up. King Og had a bed that was how long? Something like 20 or 24 feet for a bed. What size would that be? That's bigger than a king size. What do you do for a king size? Giant size? Uh, 
I don't know what you call that. But that's a big bed. Now, by the time you get down to Goliath, Goliath is, is much shorter than that and the, the blood is being diminished, but it's still giant blood. It's still false blood. Jesus Christ came on this earth to save who? Little dogs? Did He come to save your puppy dog? Come to save your cat? Of course not. <laughs> what did He come to save? Humans, people, men and women, people of the human race. So He became a human. Human. He did not come to save angels. Angels have no salvation in the work of Jesus Christ. The only one who gets saved through the work of Jesus Christ is us. That is it. Satan's plan was to pervert the blood. Because if he could get all humanity to be perverted with giant blood, then Jesus could never be born of a pure human. And therefore, salvation couldn't come to the humans. He had to be born of a pure human. So two times Satan tried to pervert the blood. The first time, they were all wiped out through the flood. The second time, they were wiped out through the nation of Israel. The giants are primarily located in one land. Guess where it is? The land of Canaan. Remember when the Israelites came up to the land of Canaan? They sent the spies out. They came on back and they said, We saw the giants there. So the goal was to go in and to wipe them all out. In order for you to be saved, all of them had to die. That's why he says, wipe them all out. Men, women, and children. Get rid of them all. Now, after the second time, David is the last one who, who uh, wipes out the final giants. He gets Goliath. He gets his four brothers and there may have been a handful of other ones around beside that. But then that's the last of them. The last giant dies. There's no more giant blood to go around. And it's all just human blood. That plan failed. And because the second set were judged as well, Satan apparently couldn't get a third group. They apparently said, no. We're not going. I'm not going to do it. So they had to come up with another plan. But anyway, that's... That's why Joshua, they go in, they kill them all. Don't get mad at God. God did it out of mercy because He wants to be able to save you. That's why He did it. So 2 Samuel tells us that, that he, uh, God still held him accountable. Even though this covenant was based on deceit, He says you're still, still liable to it. Now take a look at Psalms 15. You can just look up on the screen here if you want to. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means if you give your word on a thing, you will do it. Even if it hurts you. And you don't look for a way out. If you said, I will do that, you will do it. And that's where you hold, hold to. Now we'll get back to Psalm 15 a little bit later. Let's go on over to Joshua 10th chapter. Now it came to pass 
when Adonai Zedek, king of, Je- of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was, a, it was greater than Ai. Well, I bet you most cities were greater than Ai. How many of you want to think that? And all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, Zedek of, uh, king of Jerusalem, sent Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. How many of you are about ready to say, Glory to God! They're getting their due. They deserve that. They deceived us into this covenant. And now God has sent these five armies out to wipe them out. Have fun, guys. We're going to watch. How many of you are going to do that? I'm watching. I'm not. I'm watching. I mean, I'm not going to kill them. Someone else will. I'm not really responsible for what other people do. It's not my, not my job to watch over everybody else. Just let that uh, go on. How many of you are in that camp? You're ready. You're going to be up there. You'll get a nice sea, high mountain. Let's watch this. Go, King Jerusalem. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. How many are saying, No. No, I'm not going. Or we could always pull their, their own game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be there. We'll, we'll, we're coming. Uh-huh. We're going to make the far journey. Yeah, we'll be there tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> How many are going to try and pull that one? So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So it looks like Joshua's going to go. He's going to take the army and the army's going to go with them and they're going to go and they're going to fight these five kings and save Gibeon who deceived them into a covenant. I'm, uh, hmm. I'm, I'm seeing loopholes here and it's just not, they're not following after them. But how many of you are, all right, all right, if we have to do this, we have to do this, all right, we'll go ahead and do it, and, uh, and we'll get there. And you proceed to go. Now, it's a long journey. It's about 26 miles away. How many of you do not ever want to go on foot 26 miles? Ever in your, never. No bicycles, this is on foot. But they're not just walking there, they're also taking all of the army there. Typically, when you take an army, this is just going by Old Testament standards of moving an army, not modern day standards, not Roman day standards. This is the day that these folks are in. 
in their day to typically take an army 26 miles would take three days. We're coming. We're on our way. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. So Joshua had his men fight a battle. I'm sure they didn't want to fight. Felt they had no right to fight it. And marched them all night on a journey that typically with all the stuff they would bring with the army would take three days. And marched them there overnight. Now, they got this, this news and it's not like, alright guys, get some rest. Tonight we're going to go. It's probably, let's go. Now, if you've been up all day doing whatever it is that you do, because these folks, you know, they weren't, they had other stuff to do. They had houses to take care of and things to do with the family. They were also in there to be soldiers and such, but they had other stuff to do, so doing some of those things. All right, let's go, and we're going to march all night long. So they didn't sleep all day, didn't sleep all night, and now they get there the next day after, how good are you after being up all day, up all night, now let's fight a battle. And you just marched 26 miles... And you, you mean you pushed it. You're tired. How many of y'all get there and say, I'm tired. I don't want to fight right now. Let me, let me get some rest. We'll fight tomorrow. I mean, if you get some rest and fight tomorrow and they all died in the meantime, is it your fault? So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter of Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon and struck them down as far as Zekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Aaron that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Zekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. And Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites among the children of Israel, and He said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahijan. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. He, he prayed for the... This didn't happen before. What do you mean sun stands still? Sun stands still. And of course, he just knows what, from his perspective, he says sun stands still. Of course, we know what that means. But what scientists will tell us today that if you want the earth to, to, to stop so that the sun stays in the sky all the whole time, you have to stop the sun, you have to stop Mars, you have to stop Mercury, you have to stop Jupiter, you have to stop the whole solar system. And if that's not a feat enough, you've got to stop all that and then still maintain the gravitational force. Because you don't have all that natural stuff going on that generates gravity. So then God has to generate the gravity, stop all the planets, and you know how fast these things are moving. These things are not moving 60 miles an hour. They are moving really fast. Really, really fast. And God has to stop them all. I don't know how God did it. You get up to heaven, you can ask Him. I got other questions that are more important than this one. Maybe you don't. So you can ask them that and then we can get together later on and swap notes and talk about it. I'll say, did you ask them that? Then you can tell us. But anyway, the sun stands still. He prays for that. He says, I want to keep killing these guys. I want to keep slaughtering them and, and get this thing done. 
So hold the sun up. And how, how would you like to be the enemies? What's the sun still doing out? It's supposed to be down. We're supposed to be able to hide in the shadows. Be in the dark. It's not dark. It's still light out. I think word of this is going to get around. I would probably get around. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? That, so the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, if you are thinking that I, I'm going to the shore <laughs> and I really like the whole day, it won't work because it says there is no day like this before or so you can't pray this. <laughs> Not going to happen. Joshua returns and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hiding in the cave at Mechida. And Joshua, Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their, their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying with them with a great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities and all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Mechida in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Boy, isn't that nice? Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. They did so and brought out those five kings to him from the, the cave, uh, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Ekron. And it was, and so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua. The Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. We went over this last week. Joshua hears this over and again, over and over again. Do not be afraid. Only be very courageous. So forth he hears. Do not be afraid. Let's go over those principles again. Every time that fear comes near you, it is your choice. You can decide to be fearful. You can decide not to be fearful. It is up to you. Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them up on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at that time, the going down of the sun, that Joshua commanded that they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hiding and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. So they took care of this battle. You see a progression here for these guys. That first we hit the big city, Jericho. And then we go on and we hit the little city, Ai. We had some trouble with Ai. And then we come on over. We have the covenant. But then in order to defend Gibeon, we have five kings that come out against you. How many of you would be a little bit afraid of five kings and all their armies coming out against you? How many of you would not like one king at a time? You set yourself in battle array. You're ready for one king at a time. Maybe two kings. One king at a time. Not all this stuff. That's a, that's a long, that's a, that's a 
A lot of battle. I'd rather just take them all one, one at a time. I want you to notice something very careful. When we first started this story, how many kings assembled against Israel? We read right over it. I didn't pay any attention to it. How many kings in chapter 9 assembled against Israel? It's all summed up in one word. All of them. In Joshua chapter 9, when they heard about Jericho and Ai, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says that all the kings teamed up together against Joshua. Against Israel. All of them. That means all the kings, they they all got together and said, you know what? We've been at battle before. We've been against each other before. But we got these, these folks over here are coming against us. They just took out Jericho. They just took out Ai. God parted the, the, the sea so they could come across. We got a problem here. And here's where you get that phrase. The, the uh, enemy of my enemy is my... The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's right. If you have the enemy, I have the enemy, let's join together. Let's fight them together. So in the beginning, in Joshua chapter 9, all of the kings are gathered together, are gathering, they're all pulling their resources together to come against Israel. I don't know how many all of them are. If you want to take the time, you can go through and look at all the rest of the chapters and count out how many kings they come against and how many they find, but just know all of them were coming against them. How many did they fight in chapter 10? What is better to fight against all or five? I think it's better to fight against five. What you had was they were all working on this conspiracy, all getting this alliance to come together to come against Israel at one time. And then this situation came up with Gibeon. And five of them said, we can't wait for all of them to get here. Let's us five take this on. We're the closest ones to it. Let's all get together and let's take out Gibeon. That makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? We're afraid of those guys. Let's fight these ones. But that's what they did. I don't know how to tell you for your own life how many times that all the kings were gathering against you and God did something and broke them up. All you know is you faced five of them. And five was a whole lot. God, why'd you have me go up against five kings? I don't want to go up against five kings. Five kings! One city at a time, please. Five! And we're there fussing about taking on five kings. And God says, you could have just taken them on all. Had them all. Been done with this all at one time. But they came against five and the word to Joshua was, be strong and have good courage. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't be afraid of this. Be strong and have good courage. See, sometimes we get in situations where circumstances pile on. And we're called to reign in life. And I'm walking and reigning in life. And I'm doing okay until all of a sudden the circumstances begin to pile on. And things seem to go bad all at once. I mean, this appliance broke and I got the money together. Believe in God. Got the money together to fix that appliance and three other ones broke. And then the dog got sick. Then the kids got sick. And I'm battling those things over there. And then shingles came off the roof. 
I mean, it just seems to pile on. And how many times have we said, you know, God, I can, I can take on a washer. I can take on a dryer. I can take on a heater. I can take on a water heater. But, you know, all of them at the same time. Come on, God. This is, can't you do something about this? Can't you work this? There's not so many. But in Joshua chapter 9, who was it that decided to come against Joshua altogether? Did God put it in their heart? Who decided to do it? Come on, this is going to get ready to bless you. Who decided to do it? Who decided to get all the kings together? The kings. They decided to do it. Why did the kings decide to get together? Kings that are enemies. Kings that don't like each other. Why did they all decide to get together? Because they were afraid of Joshua. When you have circumstances that gang up on you, there's something they're afraid of. You got them scared. You start to see stuff gang up on you, it's because they're afraid. We better get this now. We better take this thing out now. They're afraid you got them on the run. And what are you thinking in your head? Oh, I'm so afraid. <laughs> and you, you go on the run when your enemies were afraid. That's what happened to Israel when they first came up to the promised land. Oh, they're all shut up inside their, their cities because they are afraid. And Israel comes back and says, we're afraid. Everybody's afraid. Oh, when circumstances pile on, I'll tell you what, it's no good. You start something new and situations come together to get you unsettled. Isn't that the way it is? How many times have you got into something new? God led you into something. You started to take on something over here. You got into something new. And, oh, I'll tell you what. It wasn't good. It's not good. Something, something comes in there just to get you unsettled. You go out there and you buy a new car. How many of you have ever, you know, you had the old car, you hung on to that old car as long as you could. You couldn't hang on to that old car any longer. That old car was dying. It was dying. It was going to die on you in the road. And you knew that. And your spirit's telling you, get a new car. When your spirit tells you, get a new car, get rid of that thing. No longer is the anointing on that car. Don't you sit there and pray over it's going to last longer. No, God said, get out of that car. Get out of that car. And so you follow the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says, get out of that car get a new car. Oh, I can still make this thing last. No, get out of that car get a new car. Okay. And you go out there and you get a new car. You get the car that you want. You get the thing that you need. And you got that new car and you're, you're driving along and you're thinking, oh, this new car is costing me so much money. And you're, but you finally got your faith around it. You're ready to take on this new car and you're, you're going along and then all of a sudden, two new bills pop up you never even knew about. Now you got the new car and you got the new bills. Why do they do that? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. You're starting to, you rose up above your old car. You got new car faith. Well, you set yourself in faith for a healing and you get yourself going and you're, and you're doing pretty good with faith for healing, right? And then what happens? Circumstances become afraid. Satan becomes afraid. He sees, oh no, faith is building. So he sends something and guess what pops up? Four new symptoms. 
you finally got your faith around, finally building up your faith for this thing, and then four new symptoms pop. You never even had them before. I never had that pain before. I know that pain's associated with this thing, though. Oh yeah, I'm sure that thing is. That's just a new thing. It must be getting worse. These are the thoughts that come in your head. Why? Because someone is afraid. They're afraid. How many have done this one in the past or even in the present? If you haven't, it could happen to you. <laughs> you start a new job. Guess what happens? New problems. Isn't that right? <laughs> How many have you ever started a new job and you walked on the new job? Glory to God, it's a new job. Oh, I love this job. Oh, this job's paying me more money. I like the hours better. I like the people. Oh, this is such a good job. And you walk on in and you found out there are problems. Amen. <laughs> Timing is everything. <laughs> there are problems. I told you the story. I got that job, Kelsey's Horse Riders. Oh, this was a great job. Doing nothing, working daytime, getting off at night, getting off on the weekends, getting paid more money. More money. And I'm in control of my day. Nobody stands over me. This was great. And I started on the job and started going out there. And they had me on the truck. And, and I had a first off driving around with the old driver. And, uh, but the old driver was gone. So the old driver wasn't there to show me the routes. Well, that's alright because the boss knows the routes. And so I was going to ride, ride around in the truck with the boss. But you see the truck. Have you ever seen those UPS trucks? The ones that drive around, you know, the little UPS ones. Uh, they have the seat on the side. Do you know that there's most of them don't have a passenger seat? It didn't have a passenger seat. It had the seat for the person there. And they said, well, we have a seat, a passenger seat. It's uh, We don't know where it is. You know, we took it out because, you know, you need to haul stuff. We don't know where it is. And so I sat on a folding chair in the back. Folding chairs and trucks aren't good. Because you know what happens when they put the brake on suddenly? <laughs> it folds up. <laughs> There's no seatbelt. Monk would not have liked this truck. There's no seatbelt on a folding chair. And the whole idea was to take you around so that you could see. But on a folding chair in the back of the truck, you can't see. And on these particular trucks, there's a heater. But the heater does not heat up the truck because it is a big truck. And it's a basically a little heater. So all the heater does is it blows heat on the driver. I'm in the back in the folding chair. I got no heat. I can't see where we're going. I don't know how I'm supposed to learn where we're going. And every time he puts the brakes on, I fold up. I mean, this is, this is not the fun job I thought it was going to be. Every time you start something new, <laughs> there's a new set of problems. And once again, I told you the story of Ken's and all, this, all the stuff that went on there. Great job, thought so at the beginning. Then all the stuff began to unfold that it wasn't such a great job anymore. But God led me to this job. God told me, take the job. I took the job. God said, take the job. It's a lousy job. <laughs> terrible job. Terrible atmosphere. God, you must have made a mistake. You didn't want me here. New problems. I'm dealing with people I never had to deal with before. I'm seeing stuff I never had to see before. Didn't like this job. Then all of a sudden the job got better. 
You see, when you take on something new and you get yourself set for it, surprises can come up. But you've got to make sure that you don't get moved by the surprises. Don't you get moved by the extra problems. When you set your faith for healing and new symptoms pop up, what should you do? Believe the new symptoms? Huh? No. When you take on a new car, because God said, get a new car, and you got a new car, new used car, new new car, it don't matter whatever kind of car it was, you got one, God said to get it, you got it, there it is, you have it, and then a new bill pops up, and you say, oh, I miss God. God knew this bill was coming. I should. I must, I thought it was God told me to get the car. He must have not been saying that. Because now we got this new bill. Yeah, God can't take on a new car and a new bill. I mean, how big do you think God is? New car and a new bill. Four new symptoms? I mean, if it was two. But four? No. How big is your God? I don't know. That's 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 an awful lot. Whenever you take on something new, whenever you get involved in something new, you're called to reign in life. Stuff gets afraid of you. You're starting to reign in life. we got to do something about this. And it tries to pull you down. Just in time. We're ready for some scriptures. <laughs> yeah, the projector just went out. A little flash of the power there. But in Psalms chapter 15, I want to go back over here. Now you may want to flip there or put your marker there because you're going to want to go back here later on today. I want you to really focus on this. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? I think he's going to tell us who. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. We're going to read through this real quick and then come back through. He who does not backbite it with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt does not change. He who does not put his put out his own money at, as usury, at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall what? Shall never be moved. When we start to embrace faith for our situation and new symptoms come up and we buy into the symptoms, we have been moved. When we take on a new job and new problems come up and we believe the problems, we have been moved. When we take on the new car, and the new bill comes in. Different bill. Not expected bill. Unexpected situation comes in. And we listen to those things. We have been moved. But the Word of God says, He who does these things shall never be moved. How many of you would like to be one who never is moved? Is that not a good definition of someone who is called to rule and to reign? One who is not moved. Let's go through it slowly. I gave you lots of space there. You can write this down. This psalm is really a list. You can either just write down the ones that you need to get more involved with or however you want to do this. But this is really a list. Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly. This is the first thing. Walk uprightly. What if people around you don't? What if people around you don't walk uprightly? What should you do? 
Oh, you mean you shouldn't just adjust to the people that are around you? You should walk uprightly? But they're not. What if other Christians that you know are not walking uprightly? What should you do? Walk like them? Why, why wouldn't there are other Christians? Why not walk like them? Why not talk like them? Why not speak like them? Why not do what they do? Why not? Why? Because I want to be one who's called to rule and reign. I want to be a ruler and a reigner. He who does these things shall never be moved. So walk uprightly and work righteousness and speaks the truth in his, in his heart. He works righteousness. That's what I got to be working. Working righteousness. Is this righteousness? No. Yes. Answer that you're on your free thing. And speaks the truth in his heart. You got to first off put truth in your heart and then you speak it. You keep speaking the truth in the heart. How many times have we spoken worries and concerns that news media, doctors, other things have tried to put into us? We speak them as if they're truth. But what truth are you supposed to speak? What's the Word to say? What's the Word of God say? Let's do it. And speaks the truth in his heart. Doesn't just believe it. Doesn't just think it. It says that he speaks it. Speaks it. So when that new bill comes, you're driving around the car and the thought comes to be worried about the new bill. you got a new car and a new bill. My God is greater. My God told me. I checked it out with my God. He said to go ahead and do this. I did it. I'm not worrying over that new bill. God will take care of the new bill too. Yeah, but you got four new symptoms. I'm not worrying about the new symptoms. I'm doing what God said. He who does not backbite with his tongue. Oh, how easy is it to fall into that? Because we all know garbage on people, don't we? I mean, just make me even minding your own business, you still find out garbage on people. How easy is it to start backbiting? You know what so-and-so did? I never. How dare they do that? Oh, and they said this. Oh, and they did this. Oh, and they... Mm, does not backbite with his tongue... He who does not backbite with his tongue, unless another believer does, unless he's talking to another believer, uh uh-uh, doesn't do it. Does not do it. That means you can be in the midst of believers who are all backbiting and you say nothing. That's hard, isn't it? Isn't that hard to do? Had somebody today. I was over at Wegmans. There's a um, older lady over there who uh, keeps battling with these health things, and so um, I got to find out some situations about her. I come on home, tell my wife about her. You know, Ann is doing this way, or Ann is doing this, and she's got these things going on. Every once in a while, I didn't see her. She'd be over in the hospital. And she'd come on out. You know, you need to come out to church. Uh, she's Catholic, but she doesn't go. You need to come out to church. Come on out to church. So I go out there. Usually on my morning coming on in here, that's where she works over the overnight shift. So I get to talk to her and she stopped me a couple of times. She says, I need you to pray for this. That was one of those things we could pray for. So we, we did keep talking to her. You know, come on out. Come on out, get, get these things, change these things. But oh, I'll tell you what, her, sometimes, you know, she's not going to church, not feeding on the Word at all. She was getting to me this morning. She was starting talking about somebody and brought up a particular minister. I won't tell you who it was. You would know him if I told him to you. And she talked about this particular minister. Oh, he's this and he's that. 
I says, no, I was actually in one of his meetings one time. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I know what people say about him, but I think he's pretty good. But sometimes that's tough to stay out of that. But just be thinking about this. I don't want to be one who's moved. Because I tell you, I've gotten pulled into backbiting. We don't want to do that. Don't get pulled into backbiting. Even when you're right. Doesn't make any difference. Nor does evil, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. Doesn't do evil to his neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Gibeonites. <laughs> People like that, aren't they? Jesus told you who your neighbor was. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Now that's, how many of you all know what that means? How many, if, you, if somebody came and says, the Bible says don't take up a reproach against your friend. What does that mean? How many of you could tell them? I don't know that I could. What is a reproach? So I looked it up. I mean, if you're not sure, look it up, right? Reproach means to blame or censure conveyed in disapproval. Blame or censure conveyed in disapproval. A term of reproach. An expression of upbraiding, censure, or reproof. Disgrace, discredit, or blame incurred to bring reproach on one's family, a cause or occasion of disgrace or discredit. You still don't know what that means, do you? Who does not take up a reproach against his friend. How many times has it come up with one of your friends that someone says something against them or you know something and, well, they're just, they're just not very good at that. I know, they lie all the time, but you know, you just love them anyway. Now, don't sit in there and, and take up... Don't discredit them. Don't sit there and discredit them. It, it might even be true, but just tell them. I don't know. Go go talk to the friend. Go talk to the person. Find out what's going on. You don't need to get involved. If you got ought against anyone, go to somebody who's close to them. No, go to them. Take care of it. You want to be one who's not moved? This is one of the things you got to do. Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised? Oh, that's easy, isn't it? Finally, an easy one. How many of you have any problem despising vile people? Now you can do it and be good about it. Be glad about it. That's, they're vile. Oh, I'm going to despise you. <laughs> now you you just see this kind of vile activity kind of, and you just, oh, it just gets you. It's like, why are you doing this to people? This is what it's describing. People who come against others. People who harm others. People who speak evil about others. No! Don't let that go on. Despise that. If you have this, if this, an attitude of despising rises up when you see that, you're going to keep yourself out of it. But He honors those who fear the Lord. He honors those who fear the Lord. Didn't say those who agree with Him, did it? Those who fear the Lord. Honor those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's one of the things in the list. Swears to his own hurt. When you make a promise, when you say, I will do this, and you come up, it comes up later that if in order for you to do that, it's going to cost you something. It's going to be a problem for you. You do it, right? He who does not put out his, his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Make sure that you are straight with money. Don't let money get a hold of you. Make sure that you use money but are not used by it. He who does these things shall never be moved. 
You can just make a list out of those things. These are the things I need to do. If I can do these things, if I put these to work in my life, I will never be moved. Speak the truth that's in your heart. Do those things. Well, you either respond from what is going on around you or in you. But you're going to respond from one or the other. You either respond from what is going on around you or in you. Which one's it going to be? The one who responds to the things that are going on in them is the one that the Psalms is talking about. The ones who respond to the stuff that's going on around them are people that are going to be moved every which way. All the devil has to do to get you to move is throw you a new symptom. A new pain, a new ache. All he's got to do is put a little doubt in your mind. All he's got to do is send you a new bill. Have you lose some hours at work? He could throw you in a tizzy. What am I going to do? How am I going to get by? What's going to happen? Oh, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be one of those people who will not be moved. Be one who rules and reigns in life. Not one who's moved all about. Because if you're moved about by all these other things, they rule you. And they truly are reigning. But you be the one who rules. You be the one who reigns. We asked you last week about some prayers. Get some scripture in them. Got to hear from one person. Like to hear from some others. Let me know when these things are, are going on. Some things that you did to get your prayers going. You've set your script, you set the scriptures out. This is what I'm believing for. You have a day that you can point to. This is the day I prayed this. This is the day that this is done. We went over that last week. This is the day. You have your day marked. But God, this is the day. This is when it was. Abraham had his day. God, this is when you made the promise to me about my descendants. Moses had his day. At the burning bush is when you promised me that you would do this. Have a day for each of those things. This is the day. Write it down. You can come back to this thing. But don't be moved by the stuff that's going on around you. It doesn't matter if five kings come against you. It may be five kings instead of all kings. But even if it was all kings, don't be moved by what's going on around you. Be like Abraham who grabs 200 of his servants and goes after five kings on his own. He doesn't wait for them to come down. He goes after them. Because they took a lot. Be called. You are called to rule and reign. Walk in that calling. Be that way. That's who you are to be. That's who you are to be. Psalm 15 gives you a wonderful list. Go on out there and pull that list together. Get that thing going. There were some children in the cafeteria. They were in a religious school, one of those Christian schools for lunch, and they had a pile of apples on the one end of the table. And the teacher went up there and said, uh, just take one, please. God is watching. At the other end of the table, there were some chocolate chip cookies. And one of the students in the school wrote their own note and put it by the chocolate chip cookies. And he said, take all you want. God's watching the apples. (laughs) No, God's not just watching the apples. He's watching the cookies too. God's watching it all. He gave you a complete list there. God's watching. 
Even when five kings come against you, God's watching even then. They all didn't come. Even when you have a setback at AI, God's still watching. God's always watching. He never stops. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You that Your hand is on our life. You have called us, as Romans told us, to rule and to reign in this life. Father, that's how we want to walk. That's what we want to do. We want to rule and to reign in this life. Thank You for the help that You give us. We can take these things that are in the Psalms and we can put them to work in our life knowing that we shall not be moved. The one who does these things will not be moved. We will not be moved by circumstances, will not be moved by aches and pains, will not be moved by finances, by bills, by concerns. We'll be moved by You. When You tell us to go out there and make that new endeavor, change the job, change the car, change the house, whatever it is that we're changing, when we are moved by what You say, You never lead us where You do not provide for us. And Israel certainly was that example. Every place that You took them, You gave them manna, You gave them water. Every place in the wilderness they went, Your manna went with them. Father, You will not lead us where You do not also provide for us. Elijah was led during the time of drought and You provided for him each of the places that You led him to. Father, You'll do the same for us. As we follow Your leading, You will provide for us. And you'll take care of us. And we thank You for it. We want to be sure to hear You, to listen to Your voice, and to hear what You have to say. For You have words that are not words of fear. Your words are words from love. We thank You for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.